everyone. You're listening to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Connie Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Lala Ericoglu. Hello. In today's special episode, we're chatting all things slow travel, what it means, how we're bringing a slow travel mindset on the road with us this year, and how we're implementing it back home, too. Joining us to lay it all out are Rachel Schwartzman, a New York-based writer and the host of Slow Stories, a podcast all about slowing down in a digital world, and Melissa Donahue, owner and executive chef at Sweet Melissa's in Sanibel, Florida. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Slow travel, I feel like, is a term that is getting bandied around a lot, especially as we emerge out of the pandemic. But it's a bit of a, can be a little bit of a lofty term. How do you both define slow travel? And how do you think it's different from your average kind of fly and flop beach vacation? Slow travel to me is very much in conversation with movements like slow food, slow fashion. I think it's really rooted in a sense of awareness. And to me, it really happens even before you set foot on a plane or jump in the car. It's understanding the motivation behind why you're traveling and where you're going. And I think in the vein of slowness and time, it's also about timing. So why is this the right time for you to be in this place? And just having that sense of understanding of the why, the what, the when. And I've been thinking about this too, because in a time where we're so conditioned to crave newness, that pressure to always consume or focus on what's newer of the moment, I think there's value in returning to places that we've been to before. So in that way, rediscovering a place is very much rooted in this idea of slowing down and really being able to see it through a new lens and a new chapter of your life. And Melissa, how about you? What What is your interpretation of slow travel? I mean, Sanibel Island. <laughs> I mean, I've been here for 15 years and this place has, it doesn't change. So, you know, when you talk about the predictability and the slowness is there is no high rises. It shuts down at eight o'clock. You're up at six o'clock in the morning. You're walking on the beach. You are in nature. You are definitely not connected into, you know, the hustle and bustle of the world. You're in with your thoughts. You're in with your yourself. It's a fantastic, you know, family place. I raised my, um, it's funny, I raised my two kids here and I have one child who doesn't ever want to leave. And then I have another child who I'm moving to New York City and I'm getting away from this great, this, I can't do this. I can't do this. And, you know, and I keep teasing her all the time. I'm like, you will be back. You will go and you will move and you will want to come back to the place where it's you know, you center, you, there's nothing going on. You, you know, go walk on the beach for six hours and pick up shells and just think and no interruptions from the world. I mean, there's no high rises here. <laughs> there's, you know, only two, I think three, three story building is, is as tall as it gets. Um, and it's all very, very rustic. So, and it doesn't change. They, people here don't want it to change. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a really nice place to be and, you know, and the predictability of it all. I think what you were saying about your daughter coming back, I like I really identify with that because living in New York, I feel like I have to get away every so often. I have kind of like a two-month, three-month max of times I can be here in a row because you need that break. You need to get out of the hustle and think a little more intentionally. And I think that's harder here to like step back um, than it is when you're in a different place and you can spend more time worrying less about everything that's going on and focusing a little bit more on you and your intention. 
I went to college in New York and then lived in New York for 10 years and was in the industry, you know, working in the restaurant industry in New York. And I say, I don't think I would have survived if I worked in New York City versus being here on a slow island, especially trying to raise kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've still managed to slow down in New York, especially over the last couple of years. Part of it's been, you know, self-imposed and just because I wanted to. But I feel like in that regard, slow travel is also about rediscovering what's in your own backyard. And that's something that I'm personally going to be doing as the weather warms up. Yeah, I actually haven't been on the train since March 2020. I've really kind of simplified my New York experience. And I think the word that or the sentiment that keeps coming up is intention because we a couple years ago had Erica Owen on the podcast talking about her book, The Art of Flaneur, which is about her taking these long kind of aimless walks in New York with the purpose of just looking, observing, taking things in, noticing new things, which I think kind of speaks to your point, Rachel, of like, you can do this anywhere. It just takes intention. You have to decide this is how I want to experience this place or experience this trip or whatever it is. Um, Lale, how does slow travel look for you? I mean, it's sort of thinking about what Rachel was saying about living in New York and finding those moments of quietness and finding ways to be intentional about the ways how to slow down. You know, the last two years, we were all sort of forced to do that. And I don't think it was something I gave, personally gave much thought to. I like moving around like a crazy person. I've only ever lived in cities. It's all I know. It's where I feel safe and secure. So being forced to suddenly remain in my neighborhood and my entire routine get kind of thrown out of the window was like very illuminating for me. And I realized that I do like finding ways to slow down more than I think I perhaps realized. So for me now, it's about taking a beat to sort of catch myself when I'm trying to squeeze everything in and be too busy and to let myself slow down and let, give myself permission to be a little bit more intentional, whether that is just going for a walk alone and getting to know my own city in a new way, or if it's about realizing before I feel totally overwhelmed and fried by New York, that I need to get myself out of it and just kind of slow down my lifestyle for a week or so. And actually right now I'm zooming in from a friend's parents place in Arizona because the desert seemed like the perfect antidote to what has been an incredibly intense few months. I think it's hard for women to give themselves that permission to slow down because I feel like it's a really hard thing for us to do. You know, here in Florida with the pandemic, we were only shut down, you know, for a couple of months, but we've still pretty much been open and operational. So I'm kind of like, I know this is like a hard thing to say, but I'm kind of jealous of, you know, the people in the cities that got to shut down, you know, because I didn't, you know, we didn't, we, you know, we did not stop operations. But in that, I definitely am starting to make plans of, and I'm trying to be better about carving out time for myself, carving out time even to spend even more conscious and aware and there with family. Um, and I mean, I think that's like, you know, a big part of, I think, the travel that I'm going to do um, or plan to do. You know, I'm lucky enough to have family in New York and out in San Francisco. 
Yeah, I think family is definitely a big motivation for me in terms of my travel. It's really been, yeah, the main destinations I've, I've been to in the last year have been to see my father and my grandmother. They live in New Mexico, which is just the epitome of slow in a lot of ways. It's scenic, it's beautiful, it's creative. And so that's definitely been a place that's top of mind as I kind of slowly re-enter. And then I think, yeah, as I mentioned before, getting to know my city again, I've been really, really mindful of how I re-enter life as a New Yorker. First step, maybe taking the train. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's also important for me to say that slowing down is a privilege. Not everybody, to your point, Melissa, has had the opportunity to kind of reassess their relationship with pace. And so I feel really grateful to be in a position where I even have that choice. And so I'm not sure long-term where I'll be going in terms of trips, but I've also kind of in the vein of slowness found a lot of solace in reading about travel. I don't know about you guys, but there's a book that I keep coming back to. It's called Wintering by Catherine May. Have you heard of it? It's so good. Yes, it's, and like at this, this season of the year, obviously it's in the title, but it is just such a lovely book to work through. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, I have a ritual where I plan to kind of revisit it at the beginning of every year. And then, you know, for those who don't know, it's um, the author is kind of taking us through what it means to accept the winter periods in our lives. So the darker, more difficult chapters. And she chronicles her own sort of wintering period where she had to overcome illness and some other personal challenges. But I didn't realize this until my most recent reread, but she renders these really beautiful scenes of traveling in the winter. And that's actually something that I didn't realize until recently that I love to travel in the colder months. I think it's a quieter kind of off-season choice and pace. And I actually marked a passage that I could read if you guys want. She travels to Reykjavik at one point and the Arctic Circle. And it's really an interesting way to kind of show how travel can be there for you during these darker periods. So so this is in the chapter January and she is in Norway and it's right before she's about to become a mother. And so she's grappling with all of the changes and the kind of difficult transition that I guess happens during that point. But She says, I learned that extraordinary things can flourish in the dark, cold polar night, but I also realized that no matter how hard I tried to fight them, I simply had no defense against the changes that were happening in my life. I was missing my antlers. I had skittered over to a different country to convince myself that I could carry on just as normal, but instead I saw only my own desperation mirrored in the ice. But it was there too that I had came to a kind of acceptance of my own limitations and of the future that lay before me. I learned that I was not invincible at this moment in my life, but I also, but also that it wouldn't last forever. But then she goes on to say, I learned to rest and surrender. I learned to dream. I took photographs that I imagined showing to some future person as yet unknown to me and saying, look, here you are under the Northern Lights. So that makes me want to book a trip to Norway. I was going to say, I'm like fantasizing about doing the same thing. That sounds 
magical and the winter experience that I want to have and not the one that I just had which was having COVID in my tiny apartment in January. (laughs) Yeah I just think that's also an example of slow travel of kind of surrendering to this idea that life doesn't have to be a certain way or that you're supposed to find the answers when you're going to places. Sometimes I think travel is just a reminder to, to be you know. I have a question that's kind of tied to that passage and the author's transition into motherhood for Melissa, because I read in your bio that you had originally started planning to be a lawyer and then had transitioned to um, going into culinary school because you wanted to spend more time in the kitchen rather than in a law, in a law room, in a a courtroom, um, in a courtroom when your child was born. Can you just kind of talk through what went into that decision and and what the kitchen offered you? You know, living in New York City, um, my father worked in Manhattan. And when I was in college and then when I first graduated, you know, once a week we would go and we would go, you know, to the grill room at Four Seasons. And, you know, it's back when Mesa Grill was, I mean, dating myself here. You know, when Mesa Grove was there. And so then after I graduated and I was working um, for a member of the New York, the New York City Council, and I was making like $400 a week trying to live in Brooklyn. And I was like, hmm, I can't eat here at, at these places anymore. You know, I would like go to work and at six o'clock I would leave my office and then walk home and stop at the produce stand and stop at the butcher. And I would try and create like some of these dishes that I loved. And so I was supposed to go to law school and then I got pregnant. So I put it off for a year and I was sitting there with my father and he said, well, if you could do anything, what would it be? And I said, I don't know, maybe something with cooking. He's like, so go back to school. He's like, if you don't like it, you know, you're young, you wasted six months. What's the big deal? And I was like, is it that easy? And it was, (laughs) you know, so from then, (laughs) you know, from then I went on and I worked at Union Square Cafe and then I moved to New Orleans and worked at Commander's Palace all while having kids, you know, I just have two, but, you know, having kids along the way. So it was, I think, probably the the best decision. I'm I'm definitely happy with the decision I made. I have absolutely no regrets (laughs) for that. But, um, you know, that's what I went to college for. That was like, you know, my dream since I was like 12 years old. I wanted to be actually be a judge. But all within a matter of like a year, it went out the window. (laughs) I feel like in my mind, Working in a kitchen is such a hectic environment. Um, How do you find ways to slow down either off the clock or by taking time off? Taking time off is a big struggle for me. Um, A chef where, like, I work the line. I don't, you know, just make up the meal and have a bunch of people because, you know, we're, again, on a really small island and plus it's very seasonal. When I am off, it's I'm obviously kind of trying to catch up on some paperwork, but also thinking about and, you know, trying to do menu creation. Um, I'm a big runner. I mean, it's like my therapy. <laughs> it's my, I mean, even my boyfriend will be like, after if I don't get a chance to run a couple of days, it's like, don't you need to go run? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God, all right, I'm getting to that stage. So even again, doing that, stopping, not thinking about it, shutting it off. I mean, it's hard, but doing those things, you know, going out and kayaking, going fishing. I love going fishing, especially with, you know, when I have the time. Um, just being out on the water. It's that, you know, like rediscovering what the surroundings are here is definitely a, a way, you you know, to sort of like reboot. Fishing to me just seems like the epitome of slow travel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like an activity that forces you to just sit and be patient and take in everything around you. 
Um, yes. You know, not necessarily, you know, factoring in the context of the last two years, because uh, most of us haven't taken that many trips. But in general, what types of trips help the two of you reset? If I'm going to go and travel, obviously, it's, um, you know, because I have lived in New York and then lived in New Orleans for four years and then in D.C. for a year. And I just love just aimlessly walking through art museums with no map, no agenda, just randomly. So if I'm going to go travel, you know, my next trip will probably be centered around, you know, food and art. I feel like going to see family for me is a big one. I know, you know, with travel, we're told, especially with slow travel, to connect to local cultures and the people. And I think that's 100% true. But I've found that it's also a way for me to reconnect with the people in my life. And I was thinking about a series of trips I did in 2015 with my partner. We had just started dating and I had this resolution to visit a new city in the U.S. every month. And I was like, do you want to do this with me? And... You know, looking back on it, it was less about the places and more about them as a backdrop for us getting to know each other, really. And so I think I'd love to do something like that again. I'm going to say my answer to that question is literally the opposite of Rachel. (laughs) Um, My reset is solo travel. I find that when I travel with other people, and I don't know if if it's because of my job being what it is, or just me being really type A. But I feel like when I travel with other people, it's like, okay, I've got to be the one that's organized. I've got to be the one that's helping plan, making sure that everyone's having a good time. Um, We're going to all the museums, we're eating all the food, we're doing everything. And when I travel on my own, I give myself the permission to do just like what I want, when I want, as little or as much of it, Um, sit in the hotel room all day. And so this year, I have seven weddings that I'm going to all over the U.S. and abroad. And in thinking about the days that I'm taking off for other people that I love so much and I'm so excited to celebrate with, um, my biggest travel priority this year is taking a week-long solo trip, hopefully to just one place, and just be there by myself for a week, not feel pressure to rush to see anything. I have seven whole days and just feel like I'm there and not worrying about anyone else. You just described my dream. That sounds incredible. (laughs) Um, I've definitely been one of those people in the past few years that's just been like craving the outdoors and I'm not a particularly outdoorsy person. Um, So it kind of came as a surprise. So I think getting out into wide open spaces and going on hikes, kind of like what I'm doing this week, you know, yesterday I closed my laptop and went to a nearby hiking trail and hiked in the desert surrounded by cactuses. And it was like the most instant reset possible after a day filled with Zoom. So yeah, I think finding space and not feeling suffocated by my surroundings is what I'm going to be prioritizing. In terms of destinations, I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> when Lala says she's not a huge fan of the outdoors, I am shocked that you said that fishing. So, <laughs> like, Lala, we got to get you, you. We got to get you on a fishing trip. That's got to be this year. I'm like, all it. It sounds like all you do is sit and wait, and you're surrounded by nature. I mean, it sounds so pleasant. <laughs> Have some beer. That is what you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you guys find it hard to disconnect? 
obviously that's something I think about with slow stories, but at the same time, I love to document. I'm just curious how you're kind of navigating that too. I am finding it easier to consciously disconnect in that I've identified that my phone is like a decent source of stress and anxiety for me. And so if I want to cut that off, I know that I need to just separate myself from it and just choose to not post anything on social media and not reply to texts for a while and just like make that conscious decision. And I, it's got easier once I've identified that like being connected all the time makes me feel worse. And in that respect, I'm finding it easier to disconnect now. Melissa, how about you? I did not realize the um, addiction problem until, so my son is 19 and then my um, boyfriend has a nine-year-old and watching them constantly. Like, it's just even like my 19 year old is just, I'm like, what are you doing? Snapchat. And then I'm like, oh wait, but what's the difference between me and text message and emails and you know, all of this. So it was sort of like a recheck. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just as bad. (laughs) And I think for me, I have found that while I still have that feeling where I'm like, oh, I need to post this and I need to share this, taking lots of pictures just for me and like not putting them anywhere, just having them on my phone so that I can look at them later or just taking them in the moment, especially when I'm on a solo trip. So I feel like if I do want to share this with someone, I can. That's kind of been like the boundary for me is like take this picture and then just like look at it tomorrow when you're on like an equally Mm -hmm. lovely self-date at a cafe or whatever it is. So I think I'm still at the same level of capturing, but much less sharing when I'm thinking about it but I have to really put effort into thinking about it. So dialing it back a bit from planning trips we want to do and um, kind of thinking into 2022, in terms of just slowing down in daily life, how have you found ways to integrate some of the rituals we've talked about or that you now want to after this conversation? My New Year's resolution was to be more present, you know, because I always have between my two kids and my boyfriend's two kids and then two restaurants. And I feel like I'm constantly, constantly going. I don't really engage in the conversation or it's like, oh, wait, did they tell me that? Or, oh, wait, did I do that? Or, oh, wait, did I? And so I just think a just a mindful slowing down. And then, you know, I've gotten better about not making the 500 to-do list and being a little bit more realistic of, okay, let's get five done today. What are the five things that need to get done today? Yeah, I agree. I think it's just taking things day by day and knowing that you can't control any of it and um, (laughs) (laughs) just, you know, accepting that and finding, I guess, maybe not the joy, but the little delights that the uncertainty brings. I moved so quickly in my early 20s, I'll be 30 this year. And I think I just want to continue cultivating a practice of paying attention both online and off. Well, thank you both so much for joining us on this extra episode. If people want to keep up with you on the internet and just keep up with what you're up to, where can they find you? Or in real life at a restaurant, Melissa? (laughs) Sweet Melissa's Cafe has a Facebook page and um, an Instagram page. And then it's just sweetmelissascafe.com is the website. Or you can just come visit. (laughs) That sounds delightful. And Rachel, how about you? So I'm 
at Rachel Schwartzman on Instagram. And you can tune in to Slow Stories at slowstoriespodcast.com or follow on Instagram at slowstoriesofficial. I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. I'm at Lale Hanna. Be sure to follow Women Who Travel on Instagram at Women Who Travel and sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter. Thank you again for joining us and we'll talk to everyone else next week. Bye.